Chapter Twenty of Indiana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Indiana by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter Twenty. Indiana had ceased to reproach Raymond. He defended himself so badly that she was afraid of finding him too worthy of blame. There was one thing which she dreaded much more than being deceived, and that was being abandoned. She could not live without her belief in him, without her hope of the future he had promised her, for her life with Monsieur Delmar and Ralph had become hateful to her, and if she had not expected soon to escape from the power of those two men, she would have drowned herself at once she often thought of it she said to herself that if raymond treated her as he had treated noun there would be no other way for her to avoid an unendurable future than to join noun that sombre thought followed her everywhere and she took pleasure in it meanwhile the time fixed for their departure from france drew near the colonel seemed to have no suspicion of the resistance which his wife was meditating Every day he made some progress in the settlement of his affairs. Every day he paid off one more creditor. And Madame Delmar looked on with a tranquil eye at all these preparations, sure as she was of her own courage. She was preparing, too, for her struggle with the difficulty she anticipated. She sought to procure an ally in her aunt, Madame de Carvajal, and dilated to her upon her repugnance to the journey, and the old marchioness who to give her no more than her due built great hopes of attracting custom to her salon through her niece's beauty declared that it was the colonel's duty to leave his wife in france that it would be downright barbarity to expose her to the fatigues and dangers of an ocean voyage when her health had just begun to show some slight improvement in a word that it was his place to go to work at rebuilding his fortune indiana's to remain with her old aunt and take care of her at first Monsieur Delmar looked upon these insinuations as the doting talk of an old woman. But he was forced to pay more attention to them when Madame de Carvajal gave him clearly to understand that her inheritance was to be had only at that price. Although Delmar loved money like a man who had worked hard all his life to amass it, he had some pride in his composition. He pronounced his ultimatum with decision and declared that his wife should go with him at any risk the marchioness who could not believe that money was not the absolute sovereign of every man of good sense did not look upon this as monsieur delmar's last word she continued to encourage her niece in her resistance proposing to assume the responsibility for her action in the eyes of the world it needed all the indelicacy of a mind corrupted by intrigue and ambition all the shuffling of a heart distorted by constant devotion to mere external show to close her eyes thus to the real causes of indiana's rebellion her passion for monsieur de ramiere was a secret to no one but her husband but as indiana had as yet given scandal nothing to seize upon the secret was mentioned only in undertones and madame de carvajal had been confidentially informed of it by more than a score of persons the foolish old woman was flattered by it all that she desired was to have her niece a la mode in society, and an intrigue with Raymond was a fine beginning. 
and yet madame de carvajal's moral character was not of the regency type the restoration had given a virtuous impulse to minds of that stamp and as conduct was demanded at court the marchioness detested nothing so much as the scandal that ruins and destroys under madame du barry she would have been less rigid in her principles under the dauphiness she became one of the high-necked but all this was for show for the sake of appearances she kept her disapprobation and her scorn for notorious misconduct and she always awaited the result of an intrigue before condemning it those infidelities which did not cross the threshold were venial in her eyes she became a spaniard once more to pass judgment on passions inside the blinds in her eyes there was no guilt save that which was placarded on the streets for passers-by to see so that indiana passionate but chaste enamoured but reserved was a precious subject to exhibit and exploit such a woman as she was might fascinate the strongest brains in that hypocritical society and withstand the perils of the most delicate missions this was an excellent chance to speculate on the responsibility of so pure a mind and so passionate a heart poor indiana luckily her fatal destiny surpassed all her hopes and led her into an abyss of misery where her aunt's pernicious protection did not seek her out raymond was not disturbed as to what was to become of her this intrigue had already reached the last stage of distaste deathly ennui so far as he was concerned to cause ennui is to descend as low as possible in regard of the person whom one loves luckily for the last days of her illusion indiana had no suspicion of it one morning on returning from a ball he found madame delmar in his room she had come at midnight for five mortal hours she had been waiting it was in the coldest part of the year she had no fire but sat with her head resting on her hand enduring cold and anxiety with the gloomy patience which the whole course of her life has taught her she raised her head when he entered and raymond speechless with amazement could detect on her pale face no indication of anger or reproach i was waiting for you she said gently as you had not come to see me for three days and as things have happened which it is important that you should know without delay i came here last night in order to tell you of them it is imprudent beyond belief said raymond cautiously locking the door behind him and my people know that you are here they just told me so i made no attempt at concealment she replied coldly and as for the word you use i consider it ill-chosen i said imprudent i should have said insane and i should say courageous but no matter listen to me monsieur delmar starts for bordeaux in three days and sails thence for the colony you and i agreed that you should protect me from violence if he employed it and there is no question that he will for i made known my determination last evening and he locked me into my room i escaped through a window see my hands are bleeding they may be looking for me at this moment but ralph is at belle reve so that he will not be able to tell where i am i have decided to remain in hiding until monsieur delmar has made up his mind to leave me behind have you thought about making ready for my flight of preparing a hiding-place for me it is so long since i have been able to see you alone 
that I do not know what your present inclinations are. But one day, when I expressed some doubt concerning your resolution, you told me that you could not imagine love without confidence. You reminded me that you had never doubted me. You proved to me that I was unjust, and thereupon I was afraid of remaining below your level if I did not cast aside such puerile suspicions and the innumerable little exactions by which women degrade ordinary love affairs. I have endured with resignation the brevity of your calls, the embarrassment of our interviews, the eagerness with which you seem to avoid any free exchange of sentiment with me. I have retained my confidence in you. Heaven is my witness that when anxiety and fear were gnawing at my heart, I spurned them as criminal thoughts. I have come now to seek the reward of my faith. The time has come. Tell me, do you accept my sacrifices? The crisis was so urgent that Raymond did not feel bold enough to pretend any longer. Desperate, frantic to find himself caught in his own trap, he lost his head and vented his temper in coarse and brutal maledictions. "'You are a madwoman!' he cried, throwing himself into a chair. "'Where have you dreamed of love? In what romance written for the entertainment of ladies' maids have you studied society? I pray to know.' He paused, realizing that he had been far too rough and cudgelling his brains to find a way of saying the same thing in other terms, and of sending her away without insulting her. But she was calm, like one prepared to listen to anything. "'Go on,' she said, folding her arms over her heart, whose throbbing gradually grew less violent. "'I am listening. I presume that you have something more than that to say to me.' "'Still another effort of the imagination, another love scene,' thought Raymond. "'Never!' he cried, springing excitedly to his feet. "'Never will I accept such sacrifices. "'When I told you that I should have the strength to do it, Indiana, "'I boasted too much, or rather I slandered myself. "'For the man is no better than a dastard "'who will consent to dishonor the woman he loves. "'In your ignorance of life, "'you fail to realize the importance of such a plan, "'and I, in my despair at the thought of losing you, "'did not choose to reflect.' "'Your power of reflection has returned very suddenly,' she said, withdrawing her hand which he tried to take. "'Indiana,' he rejoined, "'do you not see that you impose the dishonorable part on me, while you reserve the heroic part for yourself, and that you condemn me because I desire to remain worthy of your love? Could you continue to love me, ignorant and simple-hearted woman that you are, if I sacrificed your life to my pleasure?' your reputation to my selfish interest? You say things that are very contradictory, said Indiana. If I made you happy by remaining with you, what do you care for the public opinion? Do you care more for it than for me? Oh, I do not care for it on my account, Indiana. Is it on my account, then? I anticipated your scruples, and to spare you anything like remorse, I have taken the initiative. I did not wait for you to come and carry me away from my home. I did not even consult you with regard to crossing my husband's threshold forever. The decisive step is taken, and your conscience cannot reproach you for it. At the moment, Raymond, I am dishonored. In your absence I counted on yonder clock the hours that consummated my disgrace. And now, although the dawn finds my brow as pure as it was yesterday, 
I am a lost creature in public opinion. Yesterday there was still some compassion for me in the hearts of other women. Today there will be no feeling left but contempt. I considered all these things before acting. Infernal female foresight, thought Raymond. And then, struggling against her, as he would have done to a bailiff who had come to levy on his furniture, he said in a caressing fatherly tone, you exaggerate the importance of what you have done no my love all is not lost because of one rash step i will enjoin silence on my servants will you enjoin silence on mine who i doubt not are anxiously looking for me at this moment and my husband do you think he will quietly keep the secret do you think he will consent to receive me to-morrow when i have passed a whole night under your roof will you advise me to go back and throw myself at his feet and ask him as a proof of his forgiveness to be kind enough to replace on my neck the chain which has crushed my life and withered my youth you would consent without regret to see the woman which you love so dearly go back and resume another man's yoke when you have her fate in your hands when you can keep her in your arms all your life when she is in your power offering to remain here for ever you would not feel the least repugnance the least alarm in surrendering her at once to the implacable master who perhaps awaits her coming only to kill her a thought flashed through raymond's brain the moment had come to subdue that womanly pride or it would never come she had offered him all the sacrifices that he did not want and she stood before him in overweening confidence that she ran no other risk than those she had foreseen raymond conceived a scheme for ridding himself of her embarrassing devotion or of deriving some profit of it he was too good a friend of delmar he owed too much consideration to the man's unbounded confidence to steal his wife from him he must content himself with seducing her you are right my indiana he cried with animation you bring me back to myself you rekindle my transports with the thought of your danger and the dread of injuring you has cooled forgive my childish solicitude and let me prove to you how much of tenderness and genuine love it denotes your sweet voice makes my blood quiver your burning words pour fire into my veins forgive oh forgive me for having thought of anything else than this ineffable moment when i at last possess you let me forget all the dangers that threaten us and thank you on my knees for the happiness you bring me let me live entirely in this hour of bliss which i pass at your feet and for which all my blood would not pay let him come that dolt of a husband who locks you up and goes to sleep upon his vulgar brutality let him come and snatch you from my transports let him come and snatch you from my arms my treasure my life henceforth you do not belong to him you are my sweetheart my companion my mistress as he pleaded thus raymond gradually worked himself up as he was accustomed to do when arguing his passions it was a powerful a romantic situation it offered some risks raymond loved danger like a genuine descendant of a race of valiant knights every sound that he heard in the street seemed to denote the coming of the husband to claim his wife and his rival's blood to seek the joys of love in the stirring emotions of such a situation was a diversion worthy of raymond 
For a quarter of an hour he loved Madame Delmar passionately. He lavished upon her the seductions of burning eloquence. He was truly powerful in his language, and sincere in his behavior. This man, whose ardent brain considered love-making a polite accomplishment. He played at passion so well that he deceived himself. Shame upon this foolish woman! She abandoned herself in ecstasy to those treacherous demonstrations. She was happy. She was radiant with hope and joy. She forgave everything. She almost accorded everything. But Raymond ruined himself by over-precipitation. If he had carried his art so far as to prolong for twenty-four hours the situation in which Indiana had risked herself, she would perhaps have been his. But the day was breaking, bright and rosy. The sun poured floods of light into the room, and the noise in the street increased with every moment. Raymond cast a glance at the clock. It was nearly seven. "'It is time to have done with it,' he thought. "'Delmar may appear at any moment, and before that happens I must induce her to return home voluntarily.' He became more urgent and less tender. The pallor of his lips betrayed the working of an impatience more imperious than delicate. There was in his kisses a sort of abruptness, almost anger. Indiana was afraid. A good angel spread his wings over that wavering and bewildered soul. She came to herself and repelled the attacks of cold and selfish vice. "'Leave me,' she said. "'I do not propose to yield through weakness what I am willing to accord for love or gratitude. You cannot need proofs of my affection. My presence here is a sufficiently decisive one and I bring the future with me. But allow me to keep all the strength of my conscience to contend against powerful obstacles that still separate us. I need stoicism and tranquillity. "'What are you talking about?' angrily demanded Raymond, who was furious at her resistance, and had not listened to her. And losing his heart altogether in that moment of torture and wrath, he pushed her roughly away and strode up and down the room, with heaving bosom and head on fire. Then he took a carafe and drank a large glass of water which suddenly calmed his excitement and cooled his love. Whereupon he looked at her ironically and said, "'Come, madame, it is time for you to retire.' A ray of light at last enlightened Indiana and laid Raymond's heart bare before her. "'You are right,' she said, and she walked toward the door. "'Pray, take your cloak and boa,' he said, detaining her. "'To be sure.' she retorted. Those traces of my presence might compromise you. You are a child, he said in a coaxing tone, as he adjusted her cloak with ostentatious care. You know very well that I love you, but really you take pleasure in torturing me, and you drive me mad. Wait until I go and call a cab. If I could, I would escort you home, but that would ruin you. Pray, do you not think that I am ruined already? she asked bitterly. No, my darling, replied Raymond, who asked nothing better than to persuade her to leave him in peace. Nobody has noticed your absence, as they have not yet come here in search of you. Although I should be the last one to be suspected, it would be natural to inquire at all the houses of your acquaintances, and then you can go and place yourself under your aunt's protection. Indeed, that is the course I advise you to take. She will arrange everything. You will be supposed to have passed the night at her house. Madame Delmar was not listening. 
she was gazing stupidly at the sun as it rose huge and red over an expanse of gleaming roofs raymond tried to rouse her from her preoccupation she turned her eyes on him but seemed not to recognize him her cheeks had a greenish tinge and her parched lips seemed paralyzed raymond was terrified he remembered the other suicide and in his alarm not knowing which way to turn dreading lest he should become twice a criminal in his own eyes but feeling too exhausted mentally to be able to deceive her again he pushed her gently into an easy chair locked the door and went up to his mother's room End of chapter twenty